Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Doors were one of the most influential and iconic bands of the 60s. They built a dark counterculture sound on a foundation of Ray Manzarek's organ playing. They combined elements of poetry, blues, rock and roll, jazz, and psychedelic music. At the front of it all was their charismatic, volatile lead singer, Jim Morrison. There's no doubt that he was the embodiment of the whole sex, drugs, and rock and roll thing. The good-looking front man who helped forge his legacy by dying young. But was Jim Morrison a brilliant visionary of rock and roll or a buffoon? On one hand, he saw himself as the Lizard King, a poet and mystic who was influenced by his background in literature and film. On the other hand, Jim was also an erratic, self-indulgent showman, a hardcore alcoholic who clashed with his parents, his bandmates, and most famously, the police and Janis Joplin. In this episode of Prisoners of Rock and Roll, we're taking a look at the life and legacy of Jim Morrison and debating if he was brilliant or a buffoon. Faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. Streets are uneven when you're down. When you're strained, faces come out of the rain. When you're strange, no one remembers your name. When you're strange, when you're strange, when you're What's up, everybody? Welcome to Prisoners of Rock and Roll, episode number 77. It ain't no sin to be glad you're alive. My name is Bruce Kramer, and I'm behind the mic tonight with my co-host and my very good friend, a man I've been going to concerts and talking music with for almost 30 years. He needs no introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway. The one and only Ryan McCusker. Are you rocking? Prisoners of Rock and Roll is sponsored by Boldfoot Socks as well as McCusker's Tavern in Philadelphia. And we're proudly part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Pantheon is the network for music podcasts. What's going on, brother? I am rocking, bro. Music is my life. And uh, I, I'm, I love being here and talking to you about it. Right on. I'm feeling much better. I don't sound like. Uh, yeah, you were really busted up. Yeah, dude, I, I spent so much time editing the last episode because I kept coughing and sniffling and oh, it was man. all congested. Feeling better, man. All good. It sounded great, though. I, I You did an amazing job, as always. I was know? asleep within 20 minutes of us finishing that last episode, but it's all good, yeah. man. Yeah, what's going on with you? What's happening? Not much, dude. My daughter went over to London for a semester. She's in college. She's a junior, so she's uh she's over there living the life, I guess, as they say. So you know, young once let her have let her have her fun, you know, let her be responsible and live on her own for a couple months. You know, we'll see what happens. You'll be surprised. She left on Monday. We're recording this on Wednesday. So she's been gone for a couple of days and uh, she's getting all settled in, starting her classes. And it's only four months. 
Will she be like, listen to our show while she's away? I, I hope so. Yeah, hello, yeah. I hope she. I hope she does too. We're worldly. Every time I, uh, she, we, we talk about music. I was like, you know, you can learn more about this artist by listening to our show and episode. <laughs> blah blah blah. And she just rolls her eyes. But she does a couple podcasts on her own for school, so she she That's knows right. she, That's she's right. in the industry, as we like to say. Oh yeah, cool, cool girl, cool girl, world <laughs> traveler. In, yeah. I've uh, I've actually asked her for some tips on like editing and stuff like that since she's like a film production student and way smarter than I am. She could like roll in our stuff anytime, dude. Dude, she would totally come on here sometime and because she she's into all kinds of she's got great taste in music and she's uh Yeah, we taught her that. She had good she had some good teachers. You gotta teach these kids about rock and roll, man. It's like what's more important in life? Trigonometry or rock and roll? What good, you know, like seriously, I learned more from a three minute record than I did from all day in school. Cause as we were walking through the Newark airport and I was watching her go to the gate and I was sadly and fondly looking at her, the back of her backpack, she had a, a, a button on it said punk rock on it. That's it what right she on. is, man. She yeah. is so proud of her, my niece. She's like her mom, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's like her mom, man. So take no prisoners. I love it. I love that about your wife. Take no prisoners, man. Yeah, she puts up with no shit. Yeah, dude. So she's over there. She's she's living the dream. I'm already counting down the dates till she comes home. She's gonna turn 21 while she's over there. Uh, looking forward to coming home and saying, "Hey, why don't you go go grab a beer with your dad?" You think she'll be going to Paris? I don't know, man. We haven't talked too much about like what her plans are because you know who's buried in Paris. Jim Morrison is buried in Paris. Jim Morrison is buried in Paris next to all these amazing poets. It's unbelievable. That's that was masterful how you just made that transition, dude. See, <laughs> you're getting really good at this. Man. I'm trying. Nice job. Hey, I do this for fun, but I, I'm an artist. Everything I do. Right on, man. If you're going to do something, do it right. Yeah. Yeah, dude, we're trying to approach 2024 a little differently where we're like coming up with ideas for several shows in advance. And this one was on the list uh, kind of early. And uh, I love it. I love the top. The it topic. was more like the title. I, I just came up with the title and the show writes itself. You know, like, like Jim Morrison had so many different skins to him like a lizard. He's the lizard king. So many layers to him. I I love the Doors. I always have. I love my first introduction to the Doors was when the movie came out. We rented it at uh, our local VHS rental tape store, and uh, I fell in love with the Doors right away. I mean, maybe I shouldn't have been like thirteen years old watching this movie because it was so dark and so fucked up. But um, Val Kilmer to me is Jim Morrison, you know. Some of the guys in the band said they watched it and they were like, oh, my God, it's Jim Morrison. Like, I don't they weren't like thrilled with the movie the way it portrayed him. But they said there were times where where it was they it was indistinguishable between the two of them. There was a book that they based the movie off of, and it's John Densmore's book. He was the drummer for the doors, and he wrote a book that was all the controversial, bad side of Jim Morrison and that's what they took the the movie uh Oliver Stone you know Oliver Stone had exaggerated a lot of it you know for movie sakes he's known to do that you know like with JFK and a lot of shit he like adds on to the history he adds on to it 
but like he is a great front man. He's a great singer. As a songwriter, I think he's great. I'm not a, I'm not a, in the poetry. You are. You know, I'm sure we could talk about a bunch of different things about him. So I was an English major in college and uh, like kind of modern American poetry was like my my bag was like what I really studied. And uh, I tried writing a paper one time in on one of his books and I was like, I couldn't do it. I was like, uh, I can't spend hours and hours and hours with this stuff because it just wasn't maybe because I, I don't I I don't I've never taken drugs so maybe I just I couldn't connect with some of that shit no but, uh, like dude I have taken drugs and that shit makes no fucking sense like the only way you're gonna understand it and if, if you're tripping balls while you're reading it you know even for me I you know I've experimented a bunch of stuff I think his poetry is crap you know it's just like all these like um I don't know uh cliche like like i'm a paper cup on the beach <laughs> you know like yeah and i messaged you last night because i was going down the rabbit hole you know i listened to all the door stuff and then i started listening to some of his like spoken word stuff the the stuff that came off of the uh uh shit american uh what's that fucking album called yeah i was listening a little bit to it and it's just Ameri- an american prayer it's basically his spoken word with the doors playing back up after he died i I messaged you yesterday i was like all right i've I've had enough of jim morrison and i like the doors i i I love the doors but you know we've been listening for two weeks you know to my even myself i'm like all right i'm really enjoying this but let's do this show already because i'm ready to move on yeah, I am too. And I normally don't get that way. I'm normally like so involved in all the shit that we've been listening to that I'm kind of like, oh, man, I got to move on to something else. Today, when I got as to work, I was listening to something totally different instead of The Doors. As much as The Doors made unbelievable music, they made some crappy music, though, too, bro. You know, I, like each album had a hit on it. And I think each album, they got a little bit better and better and better. Like L.A. Woman is a great record. You know, and that's like their last one. Yeah, dude, that's a great point. I mean, when they're at their best, you can put them up against any rock and roll band and they kick ass. But then some of the stuff that they did was like not real good. Well, they were totally what their name was. They were opening doors of perception in your mind. They really went to the edge of writing songs like The End and um, Unknown Soldier. Is that what it's called? I think Um, so. Yeah, but these real deep fucking songs instead of uh, Hello, I Love You, you know, it's just like these and they're bummer songs, you know, like the end is a bummer, man. Yeah, when you listen to them, it's like you got to keep that in context, like when they're making their music, right? Because there's like the hippie movement is going on. Like they're they're a kind of dark band, like they covered some dark shit. Their sound was darker just compared to everything else that was going on, like in San Francisco, right up the road where it's all the hippie shit, and then these guys are are making this music. Yeah, I think, you know, like, the hippie shit was one side of the trip, all the happy trip, and the doors were the bum-out trip. Like, the, you know, like, uh, the the trip that's gone wrong, and you're having a bad time. You know, they're, that's what they are. Their music is the the trip gone bad. It's it's, uh, different, and it's evil, and it's poetic, and it's dramatic, it's almost theater like 
And Jim Morrison was like the first, I don't know, he was not James Dean. He was a dark poet. You know, he had that like mystery behind it behind him you know he he was a fucking blown out rock star you know you thought he was jack Kerouac on the road you know before he was in the band you know he went what do you go to ucla yeah for, for film degree and that's when the band start coming up together is when he dropped out of college and he ran into ray manzarek and they're like you know i'm writing songs and like, oh, let's get a band together. Jim's like, I can't sing. And Ray's like, oh, let's just try it anyway. And, you know, bam, the fucking doors. I think one of the things that makes them interesting is that, like, they're, um, like, when they were making music, that they were inspired by, like, literature and film and stuff like that. Like, other bands before that, that wasn't their bag. Like, that wasn't no, where like, they were coming from. And this is, like, before the Velvet Underground, you know? Like, I don't know if it's before, don't quote me as that but it's before like it's right around when andy warhol yeah being famous and the doors fit in with that so amazingly like they were between art and rock jim morrison was a, was a walking tribute to all blues and rock and roll like you know like he was a blues man he died as a blues man and they were the embodied. I mean, he was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Like I'm, I have the Spotify playlist on my on my laptop as we're talking, and it's like, yeah, you know, that famous picture of him on the, it's on the very best of the Doors album. You know, he's got yeah. the shirt off, and he's got the long hair, and he's, he's pointing. Yeah, yeah, he's got the beat it neck, the necklace on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. he was he was a good looking dude. He he just exuded sex it was as part of his like you know the way he danced and the stuff he the way he acted on stage and you know even like wearing leather pants on stage like that that's be, that's been a thing in rock and roll since he did that oh yeah like he was the first i mean elvis was the first everything but jim right. morrison was like one of the first just front men of a band didn't play an instrument didn't do it well you know, Mick Jagger did it and everything like that, but he did it a different way. Did it so dark and so like no apologies about being dark. Yeah, I agree. And I don't I don't know if uh I mean Mick Jagger like if Mick Jagger had died when he was twenty seven, would I think differently about Mick Jagger? You know, he's a, Mick Jagger's an old man now and he's still out there dancing and it's cool, but he's not as uh he's not as dangerous as he used to be or not. I don't as think he was dangerous as Jim Morrison was, you know, I mean, by 27, Jim Morrison had an FBI file on him, you know, I mean, he, he, everybody knew who he was from my father asked me what we were doing our show about. And I said, the doors, and he's like, well, that's that guy, Jim Morrison. I'm like, exactly. You know, he's like, he's pretty uh, different. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's why we're doing a show on him. And I told him the title. He's like, he is a buffoon. <laughs> <laughs> he really was like one of the first like shock rock guys. Uh, Jim Morrison, not your dad. Oh He's yeah, like my dad's full of shock rock, right? <laughs> but he really was. I mean, the the sh the shit he was doing on stage and oh uh, god, he was he he was like I don't I I can't explain it. You have to go out and watch. He was like first one like jumping up in the air like he was and like playing dead on stage and you know uh, just. Sweet. Uh, you have to watch them 
if you don't know, then you don't know. You can't explain Jim Morrison by words. The movie's a good intro to Jim Morrison. I, uh, it's not my favorite biopic ever made, but it is a good, like it touches on the, you know, the big, the big points and the major well, incidents know, that they had. They based that off of one side of John Densmore's book. Now, Ray Manzarek wrote another book. It was called Light My Fire. And he wrote all the good shit about Jim Morrison. And that was a fun book to read, but it wasn't as fun as the like the, the all the crazy shit that Jim Morrison did in the beginning, everything. A, a lot of things that didn't make the movie was in the book. You know, the book yeah. is way more interesting. I mean, and I get it, right? You're trying to tell the whole story of a band in an hour and a half, two hours. So there's only and so it's much Oliver you can Stone. Do. And Oliver Stone just makes controversial movies, you know. Like uh, Ray Manzarek said, you know, they were showing these things where where Jim was being a jerk off. He's like, I'd bring Jim home to my parents' house for the weekend, and he was Eddie Haskell. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. Like you know, there, he had this side to him that was the boy next door. You know, maybe that's like how he is, how he grew up. What his father was a general in in the army. Yeah, it was an admiral in the Navy. And I'm sure he's a brat. He got moved all over the place. He said at one point, like, that his parents were dead. And the initial reaction, and they weren't. And the initial reaction was, well, he's an asshole. He wants to disown his parents. But then he he said something like he didn't want everybody to look up who his father was and then drag his father into that world that he was in, that Jim Morrison oh, his, lived in. His father was like top ad, like top dog, man. Like he yeah. had secrets. You know, Jim Morrison had probably access to secrets as a little kid to like things. That's how high up his dad was. His dad was like involved in like the Gulf of Tonkin incident that like started the Vietnam War. But wow. his, it's interesting because his father said something I, I saw an interview with his dad like near the end of his life and he was like i never really even went back even after jim died he's like i never really listened to any doors music and i guess he famously wrote jim morrison a letter and i i wrote the quote down like you need to give up any idea of singing or any connection with a music group because of what i consider to be a complete lack of talent in this direction and i'm like so his dad was always like, dude, you suck at this. What do you do? What are you wasting your time for? And I, I understand as a parent, I kind of understand the like, oh, OK, you're going to go be a rock and roll singer. Like, how about getting a real job? And I was like, I don't think Jim Morrison is a bad singer at all. No, he's a freak of nature, man. He's just had it. He he's just that deep, fucking, that, he opened up and he fucking sang. He just now, got that and, deep, that deep voice, and you know he's he he wasn't some like hack who just came out there. But he had a great band backing him up, though, too. I mean, to be to dynamically scream like he did, you know, the band held that together. Like he he was nothing without the band. I, I think one of the I think I like the band more than I like him, just because they sound so unique. And I always kind of wonder, like, what is it about this band that makes them sound so different? And I was like, right, they don't have a bass player. Yeah, that's the, the great thing about Raymond Zarek, man. He plays the top and the bottom. And, and it's un crazy fucking shit. 
Um, let's let's give an example. Um, yeah, please. I have Light My Fire on here. It has a great intro, and it's actually from Philadelphia in 1970. This is a live version, but we still get a good thing of Ray's intro. Cool. Yeah, let's hear it. Here we go. You know that I would be a liar If I was to say to you Girl, we couldn't get much higher Come on, baby, light my fire Come on, baby, light my fire Shady Sydney night on fire Time to hesitate to still I'm saying, and that was in 70, and uh, he would die in 71. Yeah. So his voice was still strong at the end of his life. We're talking about Ray Manzarek. So he played like a special, he played like a bass piano. that would, He played so like he, a Hammond organ, didn't he? Yeah, he played an organ, and he played, it was called a Fender Rhodes piano bass. Like a little, wow. it's like a short piano it only had like the the bass keys on it that he would play with one hand to fill the bass and um sometimes he played like a harpsichord and i was like shit that's it that's what makes them so different is like their yes. sound is built on the organ you and not it. guitar or anything else you nailed it that's what made them sound differently than things in um san francisco there was no like organ going on not something like i was yeah, something I was reading said like his the organ playing made them sound like a dark carnival ride or like a dark uh, like merry-go-round. I was like, right, right. I was Love like, it. shit, man. Yeah, it was great. Love it. Can we play one of my favorite songs? Yeah. Yeah. What do you want to hear? Dude, I love five to one. Okay. Studio version. Here you go. Dude, it's like he's starting a fucking riot. You know, like five people to one cop. You know, like, I don't know. It just, like, it sounds like he's ready to start a riot. It's like, Maybe it's it, just like a, a brooding kind of sound. Like, the, the bass line on that was just really cool to hear. Yeah. There's just, oh. So different than every rock and roll thing that was out there. Like, what was going on? The fucking Hermit's Hermits was fucking going on. Like, yeah, the, you, the, here's like the, the, the British invasion. And this is, you know, this is what we got. Like, fuck the, the British invasion. We're going to be dark. Right. There were, they weren't tied up in the British invasion. They weren't tied up in the San Francisco scene. They're one of the few bands that are like, they're college educated guys or like, you know, they were at least in college and they're singing about like, you know, literature and a whole bunch of other shit. Like other people weren't doing that at the time when these guys were big. I don't think there was enough intellectuals in rock and roll. Tell you the truth, bro. Yeah. Even their, even their name, like they got from an Aldous Huxley story 
who wrote yeah. Brave New World, and they got that from the Aldous Huxley book came from a William Blake poem. It was like, you know, even that or shit, like they got fired from, uh, you know, one of their gigs because Morrison was telling this like vulgar telling oh, of yeah. like the, the Oedipus legends. You know, he's telling dirty literature, uh, dirty ancient literature, and they got, they lost a gig for it, I think, at the whiskey. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was famously did not end shows. Like they would start, but then by the time 30 minutes into it, the gig owner would, the, the owner of the bar or whatever would finally have enough of his mouth and like, that's it. You're done. Pull the cord on him. I had this guy down the bar and made me do that to him. Like, I was like, holy shit, dude, where, who the hell do you think you are? And like, I unplugged him. I told him to get out. He was like, oh, I thought you were going to beat me up. I'm like, yeah, you was like saying some crazy shit. And that's kind of, are you trying to be like Jim Morrison kind of thing? Like, I hope well, you we, told the war, and I hope you told the warden that I don't care who you think <laughs> I don't you are. Care who you know, <laughs> Rob. You, pull, you right? cannot pull that <laughs> shit in McCuskers. Right, right. We don't do that here. The ancient literature, not ancient, but like the old story about like Fal, like Doctor Fal selling his soul to the devil for brilliance. It's like Jim Morrison had all of these demons that allowed him to make this great music, but ultimately killed him. And there's tons of right. It's Lane Staley from Alice in Chains and, you know, Scott Weiland. There's like all yeah. kinds of guys in music that had this, but he was like one of the first ones. Yeah, I think anything they wanted to emulate him. You know, like, I want to be great. I want to die young. I mean, yeah. And all those rock and roll guys that have come after him wanting to be the sex symbol on stage. Again, Jim Morrison was one of the first ones. And Jim was a little different in that, like, he didn't start living the lavish lifestyle and then get hooked on all this other shit when he started having money. He was, he was really like fueled by his art and he was already an alcoholic when he started yes. making music. Yeah. I mean, he just wanted to numb himself all the time. You know, he, who knows the demons that he had inside of him that he just wanted to destroy himself. I, I mean, it was no doubt that he was very intelligent. You know, yeah. Was and he? Was it like so intelligent? He wanted to destroy destroy himself because I've met people like that. What's the point? I had a friend, very, very educated, very, but he's a junkie, and you know, and he uh, literature and everything like that. And he's like, I want to be great, so I got to do drugs, and that's his real thinking. This guy I know, you know, I. I have to push my mind all the way to the limit. And that's what Jim Morrison always did. He was just fucking raging out. He wasn't just an alcoholic. He was a raging alcoholic. It's, it's like I read interviews of uh, bartenders in about Jim Morrison coming down the street. They would be staying outside and you see Jim Morrison walking down the street. I was like, oh, here he fucking comes. I know that. I know that feeling. Imagine worst nightmare. He is a bartender's fucking nightmare. And what are you going to do? It's Jim Morrison. You, you know, he would piss on the ground. He was a shitbag of the week. Shitbag of the week. Dun, dun, dun. He was a nasty person, man. 
And I'm sure the drinking and the drugs didn't help, but he just, yeah, he just seems like he was just an asshole. I mean, it's, I guess it's hard. I, that's, I shouldn't say that because it's hard for me to even separate when wasn't he drunk or doing drugs. And I mean, drugs also at this time, like was a big part of literature. You got like the beats and you got guys like William Burroughs was doing all kinds of, you know, junk, like heroin and smack. And yeah, it, it just became part of that that scene and i guess drugs and poetry and shit like that have always kind of gone hand in hand and you know modern american poetry dude he's, he's just a really complicated guy i think they all were complicated they were you know originally together and they were a great blues band i mean they caught dealt the blues on backdoor man like the things that he says he'll like say i ate more chicken than you ever seen and that's like a a thing back in the day like you ate enough chicken you're a rich man let's play a little bit of that He's got a great blues voice. He does. Yes. And they're singing like bluesy songs, but it's so different than a lot. So many other blues again, because it's built on an organ. Well, again, Robbie Krieger is a great guitar player. He's a blues guitar player. I mean, I think that's what gives um, the doors that feel of the blues together with the organ gives it another feel. It's it's a mixture of this crazy psychedelic thing that's new and dangerous. Psychedelic is a great way to describe it because they're like they're bluesy, but they're they're more dark than they are dirty. They don't have that real dirty bluesy sound to it. No, not at all. I mean, man, listen, let's listen to a little bit of break on through. I love the drums go after the vocals almost the way that Roger Daltrey sings with Keith Moon. Keith Moon attacked the vocals with the drums. And that's what John Densmore sounds like he's doing with Jim Morrison. Like he's, he's chasing. Attacking, he's attacking the phrases, you know, and, and, and like playing to the phrases. Unbelievable, man. He's a fucking amazing jazz drummer. Right on. No, that's a great, again, you being the musician out of the two of us, I, I love it when you get into explanations like that. It's also, too, like, they have this dark sound, but heavy metal doesn't exist yet. So they're, yeah. like, they're pushing that envelope. They're not writing songs about, like, girls and cars, like all the other, you know, all that early stuff that we talked about it last week on, like, you know, songs about cars. They're not, 
different subject matter. They're just taking music in a totally different friggin' direction. Yeah, like Moonlight Drive is such a different kind of song. And I don't think anybody sounds anything like it, but the doers. Like, there's no, nothing else. Right on, man. Let's listen Let's to a little it. bit of yeah. it. Okay, yeah. City sleeps too high. Let's swim out tonight, love. It's our turn to try. Heart beside the ocean on our Nothing sounds like that at that time. You know, can you say it sounds like a Beatles song? No. Does it sound like a Rolling Stone song? No. Maybe there's a bunch of bands of psychedelic out there that I'm not aware of. But they did it better than anybody else did. I mean, I know Pink Floyd was out there, but Pink Floyd was doing like really psychedelic, uplifting kind of shit. The Doors were doing bad acid trip shit. You know, Pink Floyd, yeah, Pink Floyd's got like more, I don't know, it's more it's more melodic than what the doors are doing. And again, like the the organ and the harpsichord and all that other kind of stuff underneath all the sound just really gives it that different flavor than anything else that was was being played. You being a literature manager major, I'm sorry. What do you think of his songwritings? Like for for songs. I, some of it, man, like, I think he gets a little too caught up in himself. And sure. I think as I as I listen to him now, as I'm in my late 40s, I was kind of like, okay. Like, I just, I found myself rolling my eyes, but I'm also like, I'm not the idealistic 20-something. You know, I'm sitting as I'm talking, I'm looking at, like, I have a the wall in my room, my office where I record this. It's just, like, all bookshelves, and there's, like, tons of you know, shit I read in college and yeah. stuff. I, I don't know, man. I'm just not part of that scene anymore, but I used to be the guy that would go to like open my poetry nights and do all that kind of stuff. And, and now as I've gotten older, I think I just kind of like, all right, man, like, I, I don't know. His spoken word poetry. Um, I really like on that album he did with his date, what they put the music to of Jim Morrison's poetry. I just recently put it on our playlist. It's called Awake. And it's his spoken word. It's pretty famous, I think. It's interesting because they, as a band, they got big really fast. Yeah. Like they were on like Columbia Records. Columbia dropped them before they ever put out an album. They signed with Elektra, and it was like right around they became the house band at the Whiskey, a go go. And they just exploded on the music scene. But then as they got popular, he started. As it got popular, he wanted to do more of his like the spoken word stuff. And he said like his uh like his sister was saying, he was fame didn't get him what he thought it was going to get him. He wanted to do all the spoken word stuff and the audiences didn't want to hear it. They wanted to hear the hits. And he said like he just was getting tired. He's like, how many times am I gonna play Light My Fire on a stage? He it, I almost felt bad for him a little bit because it's like he wants to he's so passionate about this literary side of himself and nobody wants to, wants to, wants to hear it. They want to hear. He was such a buffoon, you know, who wouldn't, they take him seriously for five minutes and then they're around them for 20 minutes. Like, Oh, this guy's, we can't get involved with this guy. 
You know, like look at all the shows they got fucking thrown off of. They couldn't. They got turned down at Woodstock. They were hurting for. They were hurting for bands for Woodstock, and they turned them down. That's nobody wanted to deal with them. As he wanted to pursue that side more and more, he did also become more and more self-destructive. And you're right. He was just, you know, he would be trashing apartment buildings and ending concerts early, like you said, because he was just acting like a jackass. Man, but I mean, yeah, let me let let me circle back and play some of Awake. I didn't want to, you know, it's kind of going off on a tangent. I don't want to uh, skip that. No, sure. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The ceremony is about to begin. That's just the thing of what he was trying to do is spoken word live. There's another one, The Celebration of the Lizard. Yeah, so he wrote this really long spoken word piece called The Celebration of the Lizard because he called himself the Lizard King. And it was supposed to be a full side of the album Waiting for the Sun. And it was like poetry and spoken word and some stories. And it never it never got released like when the when he was still alive. It was released later. But let me play a little bit of it because it's got some it's weird. Lions in the street and roaming, dogs in heat, rabbit foaming, a beast caged in the heart of the city. The body of his mother rotting in the summer ground, he fled the town. He went down south and crossed the border. Left the chaos and disorder back there over his shoulder. So, like, that's 17 minutes long. Yeah, but, like, he'll be doing that live. And everybody's like, what the fuck? Play Light My Fire, dude. Like, you know. Like, Correct. He's mostly, like, entertaining himself. It was making me think of, and so I married an axe murderer where he goes to the poetry reading and yeah. he's writing a song about Harriet. Harriet, sweet Harriet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, dude, it's like, I don't want to be dismissive of it because it was obviously so important to him. It was like, nobody wants, nobody wanted to hear that. And uh, he wanted, I don't know if he wanted to use the fame of the doors to open doors for him to be able to do this kind of stuff. But it would just break out into it during concerts and people were just not high enough to hear that kind of stuff. Well, the thing, you have they were so fucking tripping their balls off why they were on stage. So it was like anything's up in the air, you know, the experiences, whatever Jim's going to give you that that moment, you know, he might give you yeah. the perform, performance of a lifetime or he, he might just ramble on and call you a bunch of fucking slaves. You know, he would he would insult the crowd like he's, he's like, you love whatever I throw at you. He would, he would be like, he's like, I call you guys fucks. I call you guys assholes. I call you everything, but you still love me anyway. What's up with that? That's another great point, man. Cause he was one of those dudes that had a, uh, I don't like 
he had an opinion of what like an audience is and what like the relationship between an artist and a people that are taking in the art and all that other kind of shit, which is kind of an intellectual exercise and normally not best to be worked out on a stage during a rock and roll concert. Well, that's what he kind of used his scapegoat is when when they said he pulled his package out on stage and he was like, oh, I'm performance arts whatever that whole scandal was. What, did, what was all that? I've got a clip of him talking about that too, but he, um, yeah. So Miami in 1969, they decided they're going to play in an old airport hangar that was turned into a concert venue. And he was really getting tired of the crowds going crazy over him, which is also like he's wearing leather pants and posing with no shirt on. So it's like he's playing both sides there too. And he shows up. He's an hour late. He's shit-faced drunk. The venue only held like 7,000 people, but there were 12,000 people there. Wow. And he starts yelling at the audience, you're all a bunch of fucking idiots. And I guess he he's yelling at the crowd to jump up on the stage, and he takes off his shirt, and he starts yelling, you didn't come here for the music, did you? You came here for something more, didn't you? You didn't come to rock and roll. You came for something else. You came for something else. What is it? You want to see my cock, don't you? This is what you came for. And then he pulled out his junk. Now, that was like the story. Ray Manzarek says that never happened. Yeah, but, I read the Ray the Ray version that he just like had his hand out kind of thing. Yeah. And, and like the witnesses they had that came forward was ridiculous. They had ties with the rest, the arresting officer, you know, something like that. Yeah, so like a warrant was issued for his arrest for like indecency and something else. And he was arrested and he was convicted and he was sentenced to six months of hard labor in jail. And he died before all that appeal, before that all shook out. He passed away and uh, he was pardoned in 2010, like post posthumously. <laughs> but I do have a little clip of him talking about like that even if he was naked, Nudity is part of the art, man, and is part of the performance art, like you said. Uh... Morrison dwelled on the pending Miami trial. He had cause to be worried. Well, in the realm of art and theater, I, I do think that uh, there should be complete freedom for the artist and performer. Uh, I'm not personally that uh, convinced that uh, nudity is always, you know, a necessary part of... Uh, you know, a play or a film, but uh, the artist should feel free to use it if he feels like it. He wasn't doing any art. He was a drunken jerk off with a fucking microphone. That's all it was. There was no art. That was from that was a very bad YouTube recording of a documentary about Jim Morrison with Henry Rollins narrating, which I thought was super cool. Yeah, I re- yeah, but, yeah. But yeah, dude, it's like. You can't just, oh, I'm an artist is an excuse for carte blanche to do whatever you want. Like, that's what Gigi Allen did. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait until his right, like, movie comes out. <laughs> no, I'm telling you. Uh, I know. Chris, I'm Christian sure. Bale's going to play him. Christian Bale's going to play Gigi, and he's going to win an Academy Award for it. <laughs> you heard it here. You heard it here first. I don't first. even know how, I don't know how that, would, that would be portrayed on screen, but should make a musical out of it. <laughs> chorus line 
throwing their poop at people but yeah yeah man it's like you're, you're right but he's using as it a as an excuse like well i'm an artist and if i want to pull out my junk on stage then i should be able to do that in the interest of art hmm. which is what makes him a buffoon yeah he he's a great songwriter he's a great front man he's even a great singer but that only goes so far bro it it people I was struggling with this too because they were like so at the end that that whole thing that um that incident in Miami it's pretty late in his so it's 1969 you know it's not that long before he passes away but just how quickly they like rose and fell like he starts talking too about like the audience and like oh kids today don't want to hear this kind of music and they you know my crowd is getting older like dude he was 27 when he died it's not like he's it's not like he's Springsteen in his late seventies, still playing. You know, people were calling him a has been when he was twenty six. It's just well, uh, crazy. What's this story? Did they give him autos autopsy when he An died? Autopsy? Yeah, I don't think they ever did. So like, and I didn't get into too much of all this. You know, there's so much been written about how he died that like, you know, he they found him in a bathtub and they said he died of heart failure. And then some other people said he died of a heroin overdose and he didn't die in his apartment that he died in a club and they moved him to the apartment as a cover up. Yeah, dude. They're, they're, and then some people say that he never did die, that he faked his death because he was so tired of fame and he was living out his years in I don't know, Missouri or Paris or New York or some shit like that. I wonder if he was like escaping to Paris like to get away from like if, if it would have got appealed and when it came to the thing would he would have stayed in paris and been like a refugee in paris probably yeah remember that douche ira einhardt yeah like something like that ira einhardt was a philadelphia like a environmentalist or something right he killed his girlfriend and put her in a trunk and then he he fled to paris and be, lived there for like 30 years yeah but yeah, dude, I have no doubt he was fleeing that. And I think he wanted to get away from fame. They said he was like spending a lot of time. He would just go for walks and he would spend a lot of time writing. Like he wanted to get more in touch with his art. And uh, I guess he, he couldn't because he got so wrapped up in the rock star thing. But then he he said he didn't like being a rock star, but he sure as hell liked all the girls that were around and the drugs and the booze and everything else. Parties, the fucking orgies, the friggin things we can't even imagine what rock and roll creates you know let's hear a song homie i want to hear lover madly i love this song it's another weird song this has got a great piano to it too yeah don't you love her way tell me what you say You know, if he would have just kept being like, I'm a songwriter, that's some brilliant songwriting right there. You know, it's poetry. But he fucked it all up by saying, I'm going to do like real poetry instead of songwriting song shit. What, you know? I just, if you could isolate the piano playing on that, it almost sounds like uh, 
music you'd hear like in an old like western saloon oh, like yeah. somebody just banging on the keyboard yeah. with the the shirt with the garter belt around the up on the upper sleeve it's just it's just a rocking different piano kind of song sound. nothing sounds like that there's nothing that sounds like that song right me just saying that i'm comparing it to piano music from like the 1840s right it, it's like yeah. that's where i have to go I another thing though. too about I do too. I, th- I think that's my favorite Ray Made Zarek playing on the door stuff. And also part of his artist, you know, his, his artsy side too. Like he was not afraid to do interviews and he would give these really long, like quotable artsy answers to questions about like, what does it mean to be alive and shit? Like some of the stuff you sent me, it was a thing on like his, uh, yeah, like lost interview tapes. Yeah. And I, I couldn't, I listened to it driving to work one day. I'm like, I can't listen to an hour yeah. and a half of this. I listened to it all. I was like, oh man, he's, woo. That's yeah. the only thing I could say. He's just, woo. He's out there. Yeah. I, I can't listen to all this and then go into work and like function for eight hours. As intelligent he is, you feel dumber after you listen to him talk. Because it's like, what the fuck is, you know, is, is he trying to make you confused in a regular conversation? Like, the hell. That's, that's a great point. It's also a great point about him. It's like you feel dumber trying to listen to him come across as how smart he thought he was. Um, and he also, part of the sex, drugs, and rock and roll thing, too, was like, I mean, he also took a shit ton of photographs, right? He gave a lot of interviews. And, you know, there's always the, fam- you know, everybody knows that famous picture of him with no shirt on that the photographer yeah. had him do. Yeah. I mean, I know he met Andy Warhol, but he didn't work with Andy Warhol. You know, like that could have been amazing. He was in that scene for a little while and then he messed around with Nico, who did a bunch of stuff with, uh, you know, Velvet Underground and. I would say like the Velvet Underground's pretty close to the Doors. They're a little more, well, I was going to say artsy, but they're not as good as the Doors. No way near it. I'm trying to make that comparison in my head. I know we were talking about like comparing Velvet Underground to the Talking Heads. Yeah. But I never thought of comparing them to the Doors. It just feels like they have that same feel, like that dark psychedelic feel. Like the Velvet Underground. World. Like Andy Warhol whole thing was like pop dark. And you know, and the doors fit right in there. The Velvet Underground to me is like New York City. Like that New York that you always like talking yeah. about, like the dirty eighties, yeah, late seventies, you know, the, oh, yeah, the jazz the jazz sound of the yep. the subways going by. And to me that's the Velvet Underground. Oh sure. Oh sure. Lou but, Reed is living, breathing New York City. Like his words and how he phrases things is amazing. I think he was a poet too, but he wasn't as out there as Jim Morrison was with some of the shit he, he was wrote a about. Way better poet than Jim Morrison was. Oh God, he may not have been a, a great songwriter, have good musicians backing him up, like Jim Morrison did. But like, you know, Lou Reed's a poetry is fucking amazing. You know. He's the real deal, and Jim was just like a fake, fake out. When Leonard Cohen got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, his acceptance speech was he was Lou Reed was in the audience, and he said something to Lou Reed like, "You're, you're in like the you know the art gallery in my head of poets or something like that." And and Leonard Cohen is like 
Leonard Cohen was a poet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and here, hearing him say how much he is, he admired Lou Reed as a as a writer was just really cool. Love Leonard Cohen. Yeah, dude. We'll get to him eventually too, man. I've, I've shit. I've got a couple. I've got a couple of his books. I have a couple of his books of poetry. Oh wow. And, dude, it's, uh, good, yeah. it's good. Uh, good time. To take a little break. Yeah, man, that sounds good. Why don't we take a break? We'll come back. We'll talk some more about this, and we still have to uh, settle the debate if he's brilliant or a buffoon. So we'll be back. Stick around. Prisoners of Rock and Roll is sponsored by McCusker's Tavern at 17th and Shunk Streets in Philadelphia. There's something for everyone on the beer list and the jukebox in McCusker's. It's minutes from the sports stadiums in Philly, making it a great place to stop by for a few drinks before or after a concert or a game. Come see for yourself why everyone from Philadelphia Magazine to Playboy has called it one of the best dive bars in the city. Visit them at 17th and Chunk Streets in Philadelphia or on Facebook. That's McCusker's Tavern. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Prisoners of Rock and Roll is sponsored by Boldfoot Socks. We're so happy to have them on board because they make a great product. Their motto is grown here, sewn here, because Boldfoot Socks are made in America. They have a variety of styles and designs for everything from working out or doing a podcast about music or going to work. They're also great people. The President Josh is a military vet, and the company donates 5% of the proceeds to veteran charities. 
He's also a really big music fan. So as soon as you're done listening to us, go on over to boldfoot.com and check out all the different styles they have. That's boldfoot.com. All right, we're back from the commercial break. Thanks so much for sticking with us. That was a little bit of L.A. Woman. I think it's my favorite Doors song. That's a great driving song, man. Like you're driving down the Jersey Shore, taking the back roads, oh, yeah. got the windows down. Yeah. I mean, his voice on that is, I think, sounds different than anything else. I think you can hear the weight that he put on in his voice in that song. You know, mm. like all like he now he is a blues man. He is weighs over 200 pounds. You know, he's beer gut, whatever. He's not a sex symbol at all, but he like belts out that fucking song. And it has like more meaning than any, I don't know, bullshit fucking, uh, touch me song, you know? He looked really old when he grew the beard and he put on all that weight. And again, he's still in his 20s. Unreal. But it's also, you know, he had a rough paper route with all the drinking and the drugging and everything else that he had going on. He always had this ambience of like Native American kind of thing. Um, Even one of his songs, he talks about how a Navajo family got in a wreck, car wreck. And this is something that he witnessed as a little kid. And he said a spirit jumped into his soul from that accident of these Navajos. Yeah, his family always, I think his sister was always like, it didn't really happen that way. But that was like a big part of his legend that he always talked about. And it's it's in the movie, the Oliver Stone movie. I think it opens with that scene yeah. of that them seeing the dead people on the side of the road. And all that mysticism stuff like he he started when he would get on stage, he would start doing like chants and all kinds of weird things. And he had to do something. You're on stage, man. You got to fucking come up with something like uh, I, I only have like live references from the movie because there's only so much of live stuff recorded of him actual in concert and a lot of it's him jumping up and down and throwing himself on the ground like the mayhem shit is like not even recorded the riots yeah. at the shows the the fires the fucking people just way out on drugs and just using an excuse for chaos Jim Morrison was giving them the right to go out there and give them the time to like Let's riot. Let's fucking give them something to fucking write about. Let's, you know, we are the doors of everything. And people, it the more weird he he was acting, and the more self destructive, the more people were paying attention to him, and the more the media is paying attention to him. It just became this whole like cycle. And you said he needed something to do when he was up on stage. I mean, he's he has the honor of being the first musician to be arrested on stage. 
during a performance. Was it New Haven? Yeah, New Haven. He was fooling around with a with a female fan backstage and a cop walked back and the cop didn't know who he was and was like, hey, man, you got to beat it. And Morrison mouthed off to him and Morrison wound up eventually getting getting maced. And then uh, when the doors finally took the stage, the Jim Morrison started he like made up a song talking about like a little man and a little man in a little hat in a little yeah. blue suit yeah. and was really getting like nasty about what happened, which I get. I mean, Hey, you got, you got maced by the cops and it kind of kept coming, going back and forth. And basically they, they arrested him like on the stage and were like, show's over. And they, they dragged they, him off the fucking stage. They dragged him off the stage. Did you ever see that? Like that footage of the real footage? He yeah. like stands there. And he makes like a goofy look on his face, like he's like messing around, and they just fucking pull him off the fucking stage. He he like quotes it in one of the songs too. He starts talking about New Haven. Yeah. So that I mean that's a, uh, I mean that's that's a rather punk rock move, right? He's just like f the man, and it was a counter counterculture time, man. Like how everybody like backs up the cops now mostly you know like everybody just against the cops in the 70s and the 60s and really strange times you know like the the presence that the police put out there and, and it's so different than the with the presence of the police do now it's a two it's two different worlds and the respect like health, for, yeah and the respect for cops have come a long way since those times you know, it was very, very counterculture at the time. And the doors were inc- were very counterculture. I think it was something that the generation did not understand at all. Like the older generation, like they didn't get it all. It might as well have been Marilyn Manson up there. It was the their bucket against authority, right? Because you got like Nam is going on and the hippie movement. And there's so much other things going on in America at the time when the doors are at their peak. And it's like, you know, like like we're talking about that situation, him getting maced, you know, back going west, everybody in, in San Francisco is like love, peace and everything like that. And Jim Morrison being from the Sunset Strip or that's his home spot. He start fucking with the cops like they did in on the Sunset Strip during the 60s. There was a huge riot in the 60s with the hippies and the cops. That's what that song by Buffalo Springfield's about uh, what's the name of the song, Bruce? Is something happening here? Yeah, uh, shit. I love that song too. Yeah, for what it's worth. For what it's worth. Yeah, that's a great song. Yeah, I but should, that was a real that. that was a real thing. You know, like the cops were against the long hairs. It was it, they fought each other. It was it, it was hardcore. You know, it was before like anybody had any respect for the cops. It was weird because it was counterculture, like you said. And everybody's all fucked up on drugs and the cops are trying to fucking control everything and everybody's mayhem and, you know, what the fuck are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do but, like, have an iron claw? One thing that I was reading, too, about him being a colossal asshole was how he talked to Janis Joplin that... Janice initi- uh, apparently like clowned him over the head with a bottle of Southern Comfort a couple times because <sighs> he was such a jerk. 
and she kept she would always refer to him like he was like the biggest asshole in rock and roll and i she was doing some she was something on like a tv interview and the guy said something i forget what it was i i don't remember she was doing an interview and the guy was like she had a cigarette or something and the guy's like oh do you want me to light your fire and she's like oh yeah that's from that that line's from my favorite singer Ugh. and she always she always called jim morrison like that asshole well he was man I mean, on his good day, he was a jerk off, <laughs> like you know, like right. <sighs> With Janice too, is like Janice and Hendrix both died within like a couple months of each other. And I guess Jim Morrison used to always say, "Well, Janice and Hendrix are dead. You're drinking with number three. Yeah, so it was like oh yeah, yeah. Like he he was he rather self destructive at the end too. Yeah, he knew it. He was he had one goal. And just slowly kill himself. And that's what he did. But, you know, all this dark songs he put out, you know, there's some fucking happy songs, man. Like, I love Hello, I Love You. Yeah. It's a great that's fucking such a, upbeat song. And it's such like a poppy kind of sound compared to what they were doing. Or like, the, you know, the it's not a very complicated song. The lyrics aren't real complicated. But yeah, it's a it's a good little tune. Here you go. Hello, I love you. Let me jump in your game. She's walking down the street, blind to every eye she meets. Do you think you'll be the guy to make the queen of the angels side? Hello, I love you. Such a simple song. No, but I'm listening with the headphones on, and I'm really listening to what Robbie Krieger's doing on that fuzzy guitar sound. It's great. There's so much going on with the little three-piece band. One of my favorite fucking songs by the Doors, and if I had one song, that would be Peace Frog. Okay. Let's hear it. Great song, right? Yeah. Why do you like that so much? I love the drums. I love how, again, he accents off of Jim's lyrics. I love that, man. I love it. I love when drummers do that shit. I feel like I can, like, I could see that song. Like, it looks like, uh, there was always like those dance numbers in Austin Powers where like the camera angles, yeah. like going all weird. Like, yeah, it just has that kind of vibe to it. It, has a, it like definitely a, has a vibe. And uh, just a California dancing kind of sound. You know, what's real California is touch me. That's a real more California than anything. Why won't you tell me what she said? What was that promise that you made? Now I'm gonna love you till the heavens stop the rain. 
delivery is better in spoken words man like you know it's like yeah that's straight up poetry and his delivery of it is very spoken word i don't know and then it breaks into that i'm gonna love you part it's beautiful it has like a like a show tune kind of sound yeah. to it like a like a little bit of like a vegasy kind of thing that's why i like Just, it i think it's very very if there was a power love or love power whatever it is that would be it at one of their songs that was a okay. hippie song that would be their hippie song hey dude i i roadhouse blues might be my favorite song from them la woman is really good i i shit i i i've been in the bar what everyone's doing and mccuskers and everyone's doing the mr mojo rising or singing uh oh god Richard, there was Richard a millhouse nixon nixon that was a huge thing in my bar you heard yeah. me do that a few times. Yeah, I, I have. When it goes, uh, Mojo Rising, I go Richard yeah. Millhouse Nixon. Yep. Yep. And then the Millhouse whole bar starts Nixon, doing it. Richard Millhouse Nixon. Yep. <laughs> Dude, play fucking Love Me Two Times. All right. Love me twice today. Dude, nothing sounds like that. No. Nothing sounds like that at all. It's such an original thing. It's the doers. Someone I play music with, so nobody cares about the doers. I'm like, are you out of your fucking mind? You know, I, I wanted to play a song in my band and they're like saying, oh, well, the doors aren't very uh, relevant at the times. So I'm like, you guys are fucking crazy. They're the doors. Yeah, dude, that's. You, yeah. Yeah. While we're that's, playing, that's just that's while just we're playing Jesse's can, girl while we're playing Jesse's girl. Right. And I you, can, do, you can. <laughs> there's a difference between like you can not like the doors, but yeah, I mean, fuck, they're. They're really important to all of this. You know, all this stuff that we just talked about, like the sound that uh, they they moved forward or all this stuff about what the image of rock and roll is because of Jim Morrison. Yeah. Doesn't know what he's talking about. I know. And I got to play in a band with these people. <laughs> uh, dude, we're, we're professionals, man. We know what the hell we're talking about. Oh, man. Well, let's get down to it, Bruce. Uh, what, what is your opinion on Mr. Morrison? Is he brilliant or is he a buffoon? He was definitely an asshole. I think he's a little bit more buffoon than brilliant. What about you? I think he's a brilliant stage singer, rock and roller, everything. Nobody gets better than him. But his poetry is crap. You know, it's it's very blown out, very dragged out. And if anything, it, he thought he was more than he was because he was fucked up all the time. What what gives you more beer muscles than anything? You know what I mean? You know, I, and he was just an asshole to people, to his fans, and everything like that. And he's shitbag of the week. 
besides being a great performer, he was shitbag, and that goes a long way with me. So I think he's a buffoon. I was thinking about that too. Uh, last night I was getting ready to go to bed or something, and I was thinking that we talk a lot about like we we like supporting musicians that we think are just good people, and he was not that. He was not a good person at all. And we haven't talked yet about the uh, the Lester Bangs quote from uh, Almost Famous, right? When he said, "Let Jim Morrison is a drunken buffoon posing as a poet. Give me the guess who they have the courage to be drunken buffoons, which makes them poetic." I I just watched Almost Famous, and I think that's what gave me the idea for the show, homie. I figured that's where where you got it from. Yeah, I mean, I was famous part of that movie. You know, and mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, was he was he buffoon or was he brilliant? Yeah, I don't know. Yep. yep. But, I mean, and that's not to take away. I mean, he, he was brilliant, right? He, he wrote some some great songs and, you know, he played a role in that band being what it was. But, yeah, I think he's more buffoon. Yeah, I think he's more buffoon. He's, well, there you have it, everybody. He's just fuck, man. He's a bartender's nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Comic book guys are going to be coming for us, but that's OK. What else? We right, keep man. on going. That's that's Jim Morrison, brother. What's at the end there of the show? There you go. All right. Uh, music news. I got two stories. Uh, the first one is fans are suing Madonna. So two fans are suing Madonna for starting her concert at the Barclay Center in Brooklyn more than two hours late. The fans argued that her lateness left them stranded at the venue because there was limited public transportation and ride sharing options to come get them. And they argued that the concert goers all had to go to work the next morning and take care of their families. So the lawsuit, they're also suing Live Nation and the Barclays Center for advertising that the show would start at 830, even though Madonna is notoriously late. So Madonna was sued for this before. And this is where she's a real asshole. In 2019, she didn't go on stage till 1230 in the morning and she sat on the piano and she goes, here's something that all of you need to understand. A queen is never late. And then she started because the, the audience started yelling at her that they wanted a refund. And she said, the queen can never be late. She is fucking delusional. Holy shit. I, rock and roll is not a, you know, a job. But you're still a professional, man. Can you imagine if you go to a show at eight and she shows up four and a half hours late. That is like that is some guns and roses so shit. Disrespectful to your fans. Your fans it are everything, is. man. Your fans are everything. Right. Why are you gonna jerk them all? Right. You imagine some some dude, like some guy brings some guy our age brings his kid because she wants to see Madonna and it doesn't go they don't come on till she doesn't come on till twelve thirty. Like No. I just couldn't imagine waiting four hours for that guard. I was like, dude, just like what a what a what a shit bag, man. I can't stand her. I, I think saw, she's a fraud. I, I went and saw her one time and I said I'll never go see her again. It had nothing to do with time. It was her fucking performance. It was so artsy fartsy that it, it didn't even sound like any of her songs. You know, like stop being a fucking artist, go out there. And be the fucking superstar that you are. Right. Something comes along with that. Some responsibility comes along with that. You know, and on top of that, she's targeting $200 for a T-shirt. Again, like we were just saying with your buddies and your band, not liking the doors. I'm like, you can not like a band, but you still have to appreciate what they mean in the big picture. Madonna, businesswoman, did a lot for music, but I just can't stand her. No, she's a terrible human being. 
Yeah. And I know the comic book guys are going to come, you know, oh, you don't like Kate Bush and you don't like Madonna. And it's whatever, not that right? I don't like Madonna. I only support good people. Right. Like, she's a fucking dirtball. Like she yeah. treats her fans like garbage. Then I'm going to talk garbage on her. All right. So the second story I have is this was a really weird one. So, you know, Kat Von D, the the she's like she was like that yeah, celebrity tattoo, tattoo artist. artist. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So she did a tattoo for a friend of it's a famous picture of miles davis like with the finger yeah, over his lips like exactly what you're talking about she did a tattoo of that for a friend for free and posted a picture of her doing the tattoo on social media and the guy who took the photograph is suing her now for intellectual property saying you're using my photo and you didn't you don't have the rights to it and she's like but it's not a like I'm I'm looking at the photo and then drawing a tattoo. It's not the same Weird. thing. And a court is like the trial started this week. Like a judge ruled that this could proceed. Wow. And it's just um, and this this photographer has gone after other people before. Like he'll go searching the internet for people that have this tattoo, and he'll go after the artist for money. That's lame. Um, but it's like, what happens if? This if this goes in this dude's favor, it's going to open the door to for like, so many tribute tattoos. Right. Oh, hey, here's a picture of Quint from Jaws. I want that tattoo. And you're like, no, it's intellectual property. So, yeah, like you know, I have a ta- I have a tattoo of the Joker and I'd be like, oh, you can't have a tattoo of something that's famous like that. Right. You didn't license that. Yeah. So. I just thought that was interesting. It's not directly related to music other than... No, but tattoos are rock and roll. Right, and Miles Davis. Yeah, I love Miles. You know that. Yeah, Um, so I'll keep an an eye on that one. Did you see Ozzy's going to do two more shows and call it quits? I did see that, that he wants to do two more farewell shows. Where he's from. Yeah. He wants to do two shows, and that will be the end of the Oz, man. I... Yeah... He's but he better have a backup singer behind the stage because my man can't even walk up straight. I think it would be it'd be cool to see his farewell, but he's also he's shot, man. Yeah, and nothing is so disappointing than seeing your favorites shit out. Like, dude, Vince Neil is so bad now. It's so depressing to go and see Motley Crue because it's like he's so bad. And you know what? How good can Ozzy be being the way that he is? They hit a solid note. I don't think so. He, that with the body takes to do that. I don't think he could do that for two hours straight. It would be cool to have him see him like a like a farewell. But yeah, what what is that going to look like? Like, I don't know. You can go on YouTube and look up a video of like Johnny Cash's last performance. And it's really sad and embarrassing. And it's just, uh, you know, same thing with Sinatra. And just yeah, fucking leave it alone, man. I did see that headline this morning, but. Yeah. All right. Second thoughts, man. Uh, we got some feedback on our hot rod episode. Josh from Boldfoot Socks, he chimed in. He said, absolutely great episode. So many iconic car songs. Great job as usual. During the show, Ryan said, we could do an entire show on the Talking Heads. I beg you to make this happen. I can't explain how much I love the Talking Heads. Also, you guys saying the fast car is the female stairway to heaven is one of the greatest lines in podcast history. I take pride in that one. That I was mean, a good one. You, I, you hey, you hey, had I, that. You were teasing that line before we started recording. That you, I, you I were was ready to go. I was man. I had that all planned out. 
that's what I do with my time. I think about what I'm going to say on the show about things. Right on, man. And Josh was, uh, I, I sent you the clip today, the bold foot they were on Twitter the other day. His girlfriend was posting that she ran a race wearing a prisoners of rock and roll hoodie and went on finishing first in the race was a couple of weeks ago. Just love the support, man. It was awesome when you guys were in town and we grabbed a couple of beers and always happy to talk music. And we said that like, Hey man, we're going to put the talking heads on the list of, uh, stuff and we'll we'll get to it Maybe oh we're on it this year 2024 talking heads we're on it we had an angle to it and we were both like that sounds really cool let's do that so yeah look out for it okay we got an email from neville from england so we are worldwide so i don't know if this is one of my daughter's friends but he said hello from the uk nobody loves their cars like americans so many songs about them but we have our moments here too you played drive my car by the beatles but forgot start me up by the rolling stones Okay. Yeah, there's a whole, there's a whole right. bunch of stuff we've there's a bunch of stuff we forgot, but you know, hey, we can't get to everything, dude. Yeah, I mean, but appreciate it. Thanks for uh, listening, my man. Right on top of the top of the morning to you, Governor. Yeah, and you drinking? We some also tea. got a, some tea and right, biscuits, some crumpets, fish and chips. We also got a comment from Blue Forty Eight online about the episode. Said cars are a big part of hip hop too. You guys could do another episode just about hip hop songs and cars. True, absolutely true. True, tons of right, tons of songs about about uh, so cars many. and so like many. That, so right on, yeah. So right on, dude. Appreciate the comment. So the electric chair, the electric chair is where we kill a song for being terrible, and you have a good one for this week. I bet. Everybody was waiting for us to mention the end of the doors, the song, the end. So we are holding it to the end for the electric chair because this song is a buffoon song, dude. Like you're just shock value and say you're going to fuck your mom and shit. It's fucked up, man. So we're going to send it to the chair. This song got really popular, right? Because it was in Apocalypse Now. Yeah. It's 12 minutes long. They, they have so much other better things than this. This is what, yeah, they're, they're being artsy for art's sake. And this is the uh, the stepping stone to that really long thing that we were playing. The lizard thing, all the spoken word shit. Now, was this song after a Roman play? It, it comes from like some kind of ancient play. And it's a it's a bunch of dialogue from that. It's on the list of Rolling Stone's greatest songs of all time. There is a part of it that take lyrics from uh, Oedipus, where that's like, what know, Oedipus, yeah. Oedipus was the guy that killed his father and slept with his mother, and you know, Greek tragedy. That's exactly what I was talking about. Yeah, yeah, dude. This uh, I don't know. This, no, it's dragged out. It's depressing. It's really fucking dark. And there's, it's my dad would call this suicide music. Someone would play this in the bar and he was like, this is suicide music. That just came to me now, like remembering it right now. Yeah. We wouldn't be able to sit here and talk through the entire song and it's 12 minutes long, so why don't we just kill it and get out of here? We sentence you to death. You've been on a roll, man, with the with the song topics and the songs for the electric chair. It's all, all about right. it's all about making the show great, my friend. 
I thought I feel like you had that idea. You had the topic and then this song for the electric chair and then we did everything else around it. We built I, the whole show around that. It's all in my brain. The two bookends. It's all good. Yes, sir. So that'll do it for episode 77 and our discussion about Jim Morrison. What do you think? Do you think he was a brilliant or a buffoon? Do you agree with us? Disagree with us? Let us know. If you want to hear more of the songs we talked about today, you can go to the show notes and check out a link to our episode playlist. And if you want to hear more of us, you can follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a review and tell someone about us. You can also drop us an email. Check us out on our website. Connect with us on social media or Stop by the legendary McCusker's Tavern in Philadelphia if you're in that part of the world. There's links to all that stuff down in the show notes. And we're going to circle back up. We're going to start working on our next episode. Well, shit, I, we've already started working on the next episode. I think we're going to do our look back on the music in 1994, albums that turned 30. I can't and, wait. Uh, I There's saw, so many. You're, oh, my God. Everybody from Elton John to Pearl Jam. Yeah, you already started on the playlist, and I was listening to the lithium channel on spotify this weekend and it was like oh this these you know this was some 94 and trip back to the year we graduated high school my friends yeah i'm gonna uh wear flannel it's gonna rock i'm looking forward to it so we'll be back in two weeks guys thanks so much for listening to us everyone keep on rocking peace out i'm just a prisoner It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.